0: Father, we thank you this morning that we can come before you knowing that you are God. You are a way maker, a miracle worker. We thank you, God, that you never change. You stay the same. God, we thank you that you paved the way that we could come boldly into your throne room. God, that we could come bow before you, Lord. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the salvation that we have in Jesus. We pray you glorify in our worship this morning. Father, I pray that you speak to our hearts as we hear your words spoken to us. Lord, have your way in us. Have your way in this place. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew chapter 16, beginning of verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That means Simon, son of John, or son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged them, charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Peter's confession. Peter answered to the personal question, what do you say to them? Who do you say that I am? And Jesus, uh, Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. First of all, we have Caesarea Philippi as the location for these two questions. Who do people say that I am and who do you say that I am? Caesarea Philippi is the perfect place for this kind of question. Caesarea Philippi is, uh, back then, during that day, would have been a vacation spot for idol worship, and it is believed that The Greek god Pan was born there and the Greek god Pan was uh, a being that stood upright, had goat legs, had a human body, and had goat horns coming out of his head. And they believed that, that uh, Pan uh, was the fertility god for their livestock. It was the crop god, the farmer's god, the shepherd's god. And so basically, if you're going to have a crop that year, whatever you're going to grow, the farmer would go to Caesarea Philippi and he would pay respect He would give his worship to this God Pan and hopefully his crops would be blessed. And not only was there Pan that was there in this one hundred fifty. Uh, feet tall cliff, 500 feet long, huge beautiful cliff, beautiful setting has a spring coming out of it that is one of the three springs that feed the Sea of Galilee and feed the Jordan River and then of course down to the Dead Sea and it's a vacation spot, it's beautiful it's up about 30 miles northeast of the Sea of Galilee you can see 9,000 foot Mount Hermon from there and Mount Hermon is often snow capped throughout the year so it's a gorgeous place with this beautiful water coming out of the rock and streaming down in this beautiful cliff. and in that cliff there was hundreds of caves. Now Pan had the, it was the main god of Caesarea Philippi, but you'd have all these different indentures or caves in the rock and people would go there and they would bow down to various idols. So it's in that situation. It's in that kind of setting, with all this pagan worship, with all this idol worship going on, that Jesus asked His disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And we see there in verse 14, and they said, Some say John the Baptist. They believed that when John the Baptist died, I don't know how they they, they worked out the chronological order of that, but they believed that he was John the Baptist, that Jesus came and he was preaching uh, a, a gospel or a word or a proclamation of repentance, which was true. Uh, others, they said, you are uh, Jeremiah and Jeremiah was one of the favorite prophets of the day Jeremiah was revered he was he was honored he was respected and Jeremiah of course was the weeping prophet and he endured such anguish and such despair in all his uh prophecies that that he would proclaim because of the sin of Israel and all the judgments and all the conquering that would take place. And so they said that you're a great prophet. When they say you are Elijah, they're saying you're a spectacular prophet. You're a a, a a fine prophet. When they said Jeremiah they said you're a prophet that needs to be held in the highest of all regards. And they said so you're either Elijah Uh, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets? Now today, if we asked that question, if we walked on on the streets and we said, who do you believe that Jesus is? We would hear the same kinds of things. You would hear people say, Jesus, definitely a good man. Jesus was definitely a historical figure. Jesus is the founder of Christianity. You'll hear that a lot. You hear people say that that Jesus was a prophet. He was a great rabbi. He's a rabbi that needs to be respected, that needs to be honored, and needs to be held in high esteem because look at what this Jesus taught. I mean, Jesus was a great philosopher, they would say. And he shared thoughts that is good for everyone to hear. I mean, it's good for everyone to hear, to treat other people the way that you want to be treated. It's a good teaching to teach others to love other people. It's a good teaching to teach others to forgive. It's a good teaching for people to say, for, for the, the word of the scripture that talks about, you know, that you love your wife, that you, lo- that you love your husband, that you love your family, that, that love is the purpose of your life. And so they would say out there in the streets today, man, Jesus is a good man. He, he was a great man, worth listening to, worth reading. But, not the Son of God, not deity. Now, they may say He's the Son of God, but their faith doesn't show that. They may say He's the Son of God, that He's God's Son, but their life doesn't show that. They're literally practicing deniers of the faith because if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, then you can't casually uh, dismiss Jesus. You must embrace Jesus. And so Jesus asks them a question that he wants to know what they think other people think about him, and then he comes very personal. And he says to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? So there's a personal uh, nature to this question. Now, all these people are around them worshiping all these gods, all these people have traveled. They've come away from the Sea of Galilee. They've come from all the northern villages. They even have come from Jerusalem, some of them, and they've come up there to worship. Okay? So when Jesus says, what do, you say, what do people say to them? What are all these people saying about me? Worth listening to. Who do you say that I am in the midst of all that pagan worship? And Peter spoke up. And Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now that's quite a statement. You are the Christ. That means anointed. You are the anointed Messiah. You are the one. They could have turned around and looked at that 500 foot long, 100 foot tall, just this cliff with all those pagan idols in those caves in that cliff. And then they could have said, all of these people are bowing down to their anointed, but they're all dead. But you, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. He's alive. There's a real difference there in, in, in this setting that they're going on. Peter is really outnumbered here. You've got all these people worshiping these dead idols, these dead gods. But Peter stands up and says, I don't see it the way they see it. I see it beyond what they see. All these hundreds of people that are here worshiping, I see it quite different. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the anointed one. And Jesus answered him and says, blessed are you. That's that's an interesting statement. Now, we use the word bless a lot in, in our culture. Now, when someone does something really, really stupid, what do we, how do we respond? We'll bless his little heart, don't we? When someone it, it, you know, fails at something or experiences some big disappointment, we'll go, well, bless their heart. You know, bless your heart. We'll even say, when someone sneezes, we say, God bless you, Right? And in in our culture, the word bless, it, it has just kind of many different meanings to it, many different angles to it. But here, when Jesus said, blessed are you, he was taking the Greek word and the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is, believe it or not, is Barak. And so Barack Obama, the Hebrew Barak, is the word that means the possessor of the inheritance. OK, so if someone says Barak, that's what they're saying. You are the possessor, the receiver of the inheritance. Now, you think about the Hebrew mindset. That's a big deal. All of history was about their inheritance today today. All their history points to their inheritance. If you speak to a Hebrew today, a Jewish man, especially if you speak to one that's politically minded in Israel, they're going to speak about their right, their inheritance to have the land. They will say that this has always been our land. God gave us this land. This land is ours. We are the recipients of the inheritance. And and so, from one aspect, from their Jewish point of view, Jesus says, blessed are you. You're the receiver of the inheritance, Peter. Now, their understanding of what that inheritance was all about was definitely taking shape and and definitely evolving from uh, the the Old Testament view of of the uh, inheritance. But here you have it, also, the Greek idea Mercurius, which means this, that you have a happiness, you have a joy, you have a contentment that is beyond circumstances. So you've got two things here. You have inheritance, blessed are you, because Peter, you acknowledge, you recognize that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, you've got the inheritance But also, you are now the owner. You are now the recipient of the peace that is beyond circumstances. When Jesus taught in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the hungry and thirsty. He's saying to them that if you seek after those things, you'll experience a peace, a joy, a a contentment that is beyond circumstances. So that's important in this day and time, isn't it? If circumstances getting back, getting the best of us, we need to go back to our inheritance. We need to go back to the result of believing, confessing that Jesus is the Christ. When Jesus enters our life, when the Holy Spirit indwells us, we are blessed. We have inheritance. The inheritance is sure, and we also have a contentment that is beyond circumstances. The Lord is waiting for that from us. He's waiting for us to rise up and act on that belief and act on that faith. Now, if I were the recorder of this, here's how I would have recorded it. Instead of saying, blessed are you, I would have said, Peter... You've got it and you've got it good. Now in my way of thinking, that literally explains the two sides of blessed are you. You've got it and you've got it good. You've got it and you've got it good. You've got it and you've got it good. It doesn't get any better than this. You've got it and you've got it good. Look at your neighbor and say you've got it and you've got it good. Thank you for doing that. Thank you very much. God bless you. Absolutely. You've got it, and you've got it good. And then he says, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Oh, we could spend a long time on this. Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Do you understand, Simon, that here you are receiving a direct message from the Heavenly Father? You've got it and you've got it good, and you didn't come to this decision all by yourself. You didn't just wake up in the morning and think, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to discover what it means to be the Lord's. I'm going to discover what it means to follow Him. I'm going to get all that I need to get for Him. No, that didn't happen. It doesn't matter if you were raised in a Christian home, if your mom and dad had a devotion with you every single night, if they prayed with you every single morning, it doesn't matter if they if they just did all the right things and the right time you believing you trusting your confession that jesus is the christ the son of the living god is an absolute spectacular the parting of the red sea the walking on the water the raising from the dead kind of miracle you believe you believe many people hear the gospel and don't believe Many people have been raised to hear the gospel and they don't believe. The fact that you believe, it's a miracle and it's a work of the Heavenly Father. Jesus says to Simon, you didn't get this on your own. This was revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. That's really important for us to understand. That tells us that none of us cause anyone else to believe. And it's not worth fighting over. The Eagles have a have a great song. I think it didn't make a big hit, but I love this song and I often exercise this song. It's called "A Hole in the World," and and uh, Glenn Frey sings it. And uh, no, Don Henley sings it, and it's beautiful. He's got the golden voice. And, and in the chorus of this song, there's a hole in the world tonight. Now, the song, in my opinion, in my interpretation, is about all the difficult, all the problems that religion has caused in this world. And I believe that uh, Don Henley believes that. I've, he- I've listened to him speak, interviewed, and there's no question, he is not fond of religion. And, and the chorus goes like that. All this fighting over who is anointed. All this fighting over who is going to be anointed, how can we be so blind? So, he looks at the history, and he looks at the crusades, he looks at the the Islamic jihad, he looks at the Spanish Inquisition, he looks at all the harm that religion has done in this world. And he says, my goodness, how can we be so blind? Look at all the problems caused. Now, I hear this chorus, I hear this song, and in a verse like this caused me to go, Don, I believe it with all my heart. I believe just like you do. It is foolish for us to fight over Who is the anointed? You know why? It's not our fight. It's not our fight. People say we've got to defend it. We've got to defend the gospel. We've got to defend the truth. We've got to stand up and stand up. No, 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 no. We don't either. What we do is share the good news. What we do is pray for people. What we do is love people. It's God the Father's business to cause anyone to believe. We can't cause anyone to believe. It's the work of the Father. And so we don't need to fight that battle. Now that ought to set you free. It is not my responsibility to explain it in such a way that someone will understand and someone will believe. I'm not to persuade them. I'm not to argue them into believing. I'm not to apologetic them into believing. I can share what I know. I can share my testimony. I can share my faith, but always in love and always with freedom, because it's the heavenly Father's responsibility, and only the heavenly Father can cause someone to believe. The good news is he's at work doing it. He is at work doing that today in our world. It's not our fight. And Jesus says that as clear as day to me. Blessed are you. You got it. You got it good Simon for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father who is in heaven. So If you're fighting and if you're at war with someone to believe, turn loose of the fight. It's not yours. You do what you're responsible for. You do your assignment. You pray for them. You love them. You share the gospel with them, but unfettered, not responsible for their decision to receive Christ. How horrible it would be if I had to preach an A-plus sermon every single time for someone to be saved, no one would ever be saved under, under my preaching. I've never preached an A-plus sermon. I've never had an A. Most likely, I've never had a B. Most likely, I'm somewhere around C- minus, and every now and then, just a straight C. Why? Average at best. Average at best. Now... This pandemic is hard on preachers like us, who have the thing online, but we just ain't as good as those A plusers. The other day, a guy called me, you know, and I asked, "Let me know if you're with me or not." He called, and says, "Man, I'm with you," but he said, "You know, Sunday we watched so and so, we watched so and so, and then we tuned in on you." And and of course, he told me, he "said in, in your internet didn't work, didn't work, so yeah," but he 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 tuned in for the A plus preachers. The ones that I would tune into and listen to and go, wow, that's really good. That's insightful. Their delivery is spectacular. And so, us sea preachers, we're going to lose this online battle because everybody's going to flog to the uh, the TV for the real pretty ones and the and the delightful ones, you know. But it's not my responsibility. God didn't make me to be an A-plus preacher. He didn't make me to be that kind of preacher that the TV would, would want to show across all the waves. I'm not that guy. I don't have that. That's not my responsibility. I just share, I preach, I pray, I do the best I can because it's the Heavenly Father's responsibility and assignment to cause people to believe. That's a wonderful piece of information for us in this scripture. And then he says to him, he says in verse 18, And I tell you, here we go. This right here is special. You are Peter. Now, he says, you are Petros, which means little rock. Peter was the rock. Peter was the one that stood up at Pentecost and preached in Acts chapter 2 and the church began. That's when the Holy Spirit came into the world. Peter, you are Petros, little rock. And on this rock, now this is really up for interpretation in a whole denomination, uh, the Catholic church, that they see this to say Peter was the first pope and he is the rock in which the church is built. Now, my interpretation of this, and my tribe's interpretation of this mostly, is this, you are Petros and I am Petra. There are two different Greek words for rock here, one meaning little rock and one meaning big rock. And so what I believe is going on here, Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, you are little rock, and on this rock, on big rock, the large rock, I am going to build my Church. Peter, he's important. Peter matters. Peter is essential. God has a great plan for Peter. But he's not the rock in which the church is built. And so here we have the truth. The application of this is this. The Father is causing people to believe. And causing the growth, the foundation, the building of the church And man is not the rock. Jesus is the rock. And so, Peter, the assignment to build the church is not yours. The responsibility is not yours. The burden is not yours. Your burden is your assignment. I'm going to do the rest. I'm going to build my church. And Jesus says, I will build my church on this rock and I am the rock. And then he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so the church is going to always be able to defeat hell. The church is always going to be able to defeat death. The gospel is always more powerful than the work of Satan and the work that hell is going to bring about. And he says in verse 19, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The keys. Now, in, in, in a company, back in the day of keys, now, you know, you've got the little card, and, it's, and you walk in the door these days. But in the day of keys, let's say a schoolhouse, a, a factory or a business, a company, the one with all the keys is the most powerful, the one with the most keys. That's why I have always chosen not to be able to open buildings. People have always said the reason why you didn't want keys is you didn't want to come up here in the middle of the afternoon to find someone's phone or Bible. Well, there's the truth in that too. But but I don't have a key. Sorry, I can't help you. Call, call so-and-so. They got keys. They're powerful but we don't have all the keys. I don't have all the keys, right? Keys are powerful. And look what Jesus says here. Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom. I'm entrusting with you the good news, the gospel, the message. And so what Jesus is saying here is, you are blessed, Simon. You've got it and you've got it good. You have a relationship you have an inheritance, you have understanding. You didn't get it on your own. And on that confession, on that belief, I'm going to build my church. My church is going to be built on the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God and I am going to empower you, and I am going to build my church on the rock, on Jesus, and you have an assignment for that, I'm going to give you the keys to heaven. Share the good news about Jesus. It's opening the doors to his kingdom. We've got the keys. We've got the keys. And then he closes. Well, he didn't close, but the scripture says here in verse 20. Then he strictly charged disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Wasn't time yet. There's going to be a time when he's going to say, tell everyone I'm the Christ. Tell everyone I'm the anointed. But right now, it's not time. My work is not done. And Jesus, of course, rightly knew that if if they went around proclaiming that he was the Christ, they would come and arrest him. And before it was time, they would crucify him. They would execute him. I believe, I personally believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. I believe that. I believe the way of salvation is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe the only way to heaven, there's only one way, the only way to heaven is to believe that Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You may be out there watching this, maybe here watching this, and and, and that's not your confession. That's not your understanding. And as you've listened to the word here, the Father, just like with Peter, has been speaking to you, has been tugging on your heart, saying, believe, trust, accept. I am the Heavenly Father. This is my Son. I have given Him to you. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Father may be speaking to you, saying, Receive me, receive me, trust me. Let not your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And, and right now, that God is wanting to fill that void, fill that vacuum in your spirit, in your soul. And if you would just say this prayer with me, I'm going to, in, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to introduce you to the Lord. It's a very simple prayer. Nothing mad with a prayer, but it's just a time between you and God that you just come to the place in your life led by the Father. The Holy Spirit brings this place where you would just acknowledge that you are one of His children. You're going to follow Him, that you confess that He is Lord. And say, dear Father, I, I feel your tug of my life. I recognize that my sin separates me from you. I recognize that this faith that I am now feeling that I'm wanting to have is not from me, but it's from you. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe he's the son of the living God. I believe that Jesus died for me. I confess, I agree, I believe that Jesus rose from the grave. If you have just spoke that prayer to the Father, if you have just surrendered your heart to Him through that time of conversation, you are one of His children. You are born again. You have come alive spiritually. You're you're no longer following the ways of this world and the ways of the dead gods, the ways of idols. You are now a servant, a follower, a believer. In the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Maybe today this message is for you. You it's encouraged you to rely more on Christ, to recognize that Jesus is more than a prophet, more than a good teacher, more than just a famous rabbi, more than just a historical figure, that Jesus is indeed the Christ. And and your struggle that you're going through today in your life may be because you are not every single day, every single day, moment of the day recognizing that you're a servant of King Jesus. That you're to follow him, that you're to be his servant. And you have not been making his presence available. You're not making his presence, you have not procreated his presence your life. You have been living on your own strength, on your own power. On your own ability. And and maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and bringing you to the place of recognizing trust in me. Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust Trust in God. Trust also in me, Jesus says. I am here. I am available. I have all power. I am the King of all. Will you just surrender again? Just maybe it's renewing your commitment. It's a renewal of your faith. Maybe it's repentance of sin, repentance of of pride, repentance of of selfishness, repentance of anger, repentance of anything that gets in the way of you experiencing an unhindered walk with the Lord Jesus. And just pray this prayer. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of, 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 of my wandering Forgive me of, of not recognizing that I need to live for you every day. I pray, Lord, that you will forgive me of my sin. Thank you for the promise of your forgiveness if we confess our sins. God, you are faithful and just and you will forgive us of all our sins and you'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, I just want to have a clean heart. I want to see you as you are. I want to be your child. I want to live for you with, with without regret and without fear and just be your child completely committed and devoted to you, undivided in my heart's affections. The good news is if you just poured your heart out to the Lord and prayed this prayer, this kind of prayer, prayer something like the Holy Spirit's at work and and you have been restored into a right relationship with God, Thank you, Father, for your love, your mercy. Thank you for loving us enough to send Jesus, your child, your son. And we're so thankful, God, that unlike all those gods that were worshiped, at Caesarea Philippi, you are alive. In Jesus' name, amen.